I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to Raina Hirsch's Problems in the Pub. My name is Raina Hirsch. I am a conductor and comedian, and this is the podcast that sneaks a sideways, unofficial glimpse at the BBC Proms. Every year, the Proms marks the anniversaries of composers born or died some important number of years ago. One of the most significant of recent times, the 250th anniversary of the birth of Ludwig van Beethoven in 2020, was kiboshed by an uncooked bat in Wuhan, or wherever it was. The Chinese authorities are a bit tight-lipped about that, though I can't help feeling that if whoever ate the uncooked bat had been a bit more tight-lipped, we could have avoided a lot of trouble. Be that as it may, this year's proms' celebrate ease include Dame Ethel Smythe, whose hits feature March of the Women, which actually received its very first performance at the Albert Hall in 1911. Then there is the 100th birthday of Greek composer Yanis Zanakis, an important name in music, especially if you're in a pub quiz, and need to think of a composer for every letter of the alphabet. Then there is Ralph Rafe Vaughan Williams. This year is 150 since his birth. After years of Britain being referred to as Das Land ohne Musik, the country without music, Rafe led the revival of British music in the 20th century, not least with his nine, that's a nine symphonies, including number two, the London, number three, the pastoral, number eight, the dentist, Number nine, the Jehovah's Witness. Okay, I made those last two up, but not forgetting, and this is a real one. Number one, a C symphony. At the very toppest of Rave's top hits is the Lark Ascending, a 15-minute piece for solo violin, usually accompanied by a string orchestra, the violin imitating the bird and the orchestra representing a recently washed car underneath the bird. That can be heard on the 26th of August in Prom 52. After that, all the big Vaughan Williams box office is based on tunes he didn't actually write but kind of collected, along with people like Cecil Sharp, with whom Vaughan Williams had a running competition to see who could be most pastoral. This includes his Fantasia on green sleeves and a particular favourite of mine, if you hear the episode with Simon Townley, his Fantasia on a theme by Thomas Tallis. Okay, so that's Rafe, and add to that, this year the prom's celebrating what it describes as Cinderella instruments. I'm not entirely sure where that term comes from, but it usually means anything that normally doesn't get an outing or which has to be put back in its case before it turns into a pumpkin. 
so basically not the piano or violin. Cinderella instruments, according to the BBC website, include the French horn, the trombone, the harp, the viola, the flute, the percussion, even the entire splendid Tradigar brass band, whose concert I attended last Monday. Apart from their sound and virtuosity, I also sneakingly enjoyed their fantastic uniforms, which made them look a bit like Trumpton Fire Brigade in red. The Venn diagram union of those two concepts, anniversaries and Cinderella, gives Ethel Smy's Concerto for Violin and Horn, which we heard on the 25th of July. You can catch it on BBC Sounds. Vaughan Williams' Tuba Concerto, which is happening on the 15th of August. And coming up this Sunday, the 11th of August at 11am, the Vaughan Williams Oboe Concerto, which will be played by the wonderful Nick Daniel. British listeners may remember Nick from when he won the BBC Young Musician of the Year back in the year dot. I first met him when we performed together at a festival in Australia, but ran into him again in May, playing his beloved Vaughan Williams at De Montfort Hall in Leicester with the redoubtable Leicester Symphony Orchestra. After his performance backstage, to the accompaniment of a fridge and other noises off, we talked about Nick's story so far and his love of his own particular Cinderella. So, uh, hey Nick, for a start, Hello. nice to see you. You too. I really loved your performance of the oh. Vaughan Williams Oboe Concerto. Yeah, it's a wonderful piece. It's a, you know, it's the piece with which I, or one of the pieces with which I won BBC Young Musician in 1980. Did you do it then? Mm, I did the first movement. Because the first movement um, sort of stands like a, a, a tone poem on its own, a bit like a Sibelius tone poem, and of course this this concerto was written at the same time as the Fifth Symphony, which right. was dedicated to Sibelius. Yes. And so I think he had Swan of Tuonela in his mind. And, oh, yes. and so that first movement was very good. I played it with the Marcello concerto, but that's going back, you know, many, many years. But it's still, it's still very, very important to me. And I think it's... Somehow Vaughan Williams has gone in and out of fashion so many times that now he seems to be back in. And I'm so pleased because it's great to... To play this piece. It's almost your signature piece because you did it first time, you did it at the proms, didn't you? In yeah. fact, you gave, I think, what is vaunted to some extent as the proms premiere, the real London proms premiere. Oh, really? Yeah. What, because it was, it was, it was done at the Albert Hall? Because well, it was done at the Albert Hall as opposed to Liverpool, which was where it was, yeah. you know, which were the first performed time. I remember the year before I played um, Bizet Symphony in C and John Drummond came up and he said, well, I think you'd better come and play the Vaughan Williams next year. What do you think? I said, Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Let's go back to the beginning. You, you were you were scored in Salisbury or around there? I was a chorister at Salisbury. Yeah. I, before that, I mean, my parents lived in Hitchin, and I was a chorister at Hitchin Parish Church. I mean, it was just better than actually attending the church service as a person, which I would have been forced to do. Yeah. So actually singing just was much better fun. And, um, and then my voice kind of got good, actually. And then my mum was trying to keep up with her sister, who'd sent her her son to King's Cambridge as a choral scholar, as a choir boy and then a choral scholar. Um, and in fact, my cousin Charles Daniels is a very well-known tenor. Um, I'm Daniel, he's Daniels. It's, I'm sorry, it's I blame the parents. No, don't. <laughs> yeah. But um, he, he's a wonderful, wonderful singer. But I took up the oboe to go to Salisbury because you had to play two instruments. So basically, I, my... <laughs> 
my mum said, look, Nicky's got to play two instruments. What do you think he should play? She said to her mum, my granny said, the boy must play the oboe. And my mum said, what the fuck's an oboe? <laughs> you may have to bleep that out. No, this is our own podcast. We can it's save, absolutely we true can save what she said. And then I think, I don't know whether Emma Dale was going then, but um, I think it was something like, you know, we were able to... To make it work, just hold on a second. Yeah, that's, oh, that's that, that's that fridge. Yeah, unplug that. Is that that fridge? Yeah. Oh, well done. Yeah. Um, so you were. So I took your, it up then, and I was. What was very your first? Lucky. What was your first instrument? Piano, which I took up when I was about six. Um, my mum said, "Do you want to ride horses or have a piano lesson?" I know it sounds frightfully middle class, but actually. I suppose it was, but my, my dad was a prison officer and my mum did old ladies' feet. Um, but we lived in the country and everybody was, could have, you know, there were lots of people having sort of horseback riding lessons. I was terrified of horses. <laughs> I love them now. I don't ride, but I, I love horses. But um, So there's not, there's no, your parents were no, musical? Absolutely not a, not a musical bone in their bodies. Weird. Nothing. Well, you know, you say weird, but actually my grandfather apparently played the flute when he was young. Mm. And um, it's difficult to say because my mother's maiden name was Tomkins, and it could be that we're related to Thomas Tomkins, the composer. So there may be genetical musical things, but it's it's very hard very hard to say. But um, I discovered that music does something to me, and I it it always has, it still does, mm. um, and it it just I feel it just so strongly and and it's an, it's sometimes it's a burden but because i you know it's it, it's so distracting but um i once got done on the m4 for doing 126 miles an hour listening to delius late swallows and That's i got hard. banned by a judge but did it, that, you didn't you didn't present that in evidence then. i did actually drunk on the music of delius <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you took so now here's the the thing about the oboe. Forgive me. I mean, because it's the Marcello. There's a few Albanonis, and then there's the Mozart concerto. And I have a concerto repertoire of 150 pieces. There we go. Probably 50 of which I've commissioned myself. Yeah. And that process of commissioning new composers is absolutely central to what I do. Yeah. Um, next year, um, I'm not sure whether we're doing it at the Proms, but we're definitely going to do it in London. I'm commissioning a, well, a piece by Uti Dargainen, who's the most wonderful Finnish composer. Right. And she's writing a piece called Milky Ways. Cool. Which is all about the Milky Way. Right. And also about breastfeeding and lactation, which is something she's very familiar with because she's got three little children, one of which recently set fire to their sauna. This. <laughs> So, so she lives out in a place where in Finland, yes. when you've got they've got scope for a sauna. Yes, they they live in um, in um, well in the, up in the, in Rovaniemi, in the just north of the Arctic or at the Arctic Circle point, and uh, one of their children puts a sort of plastic toilet brush into the sauna fire. Ah, that that's probably a typical problem that causes. I think it, it was not actually. Finnish people go, what is the problem? It happens to all at hand today. But um, so yeah, so the process of commissioning pieces is something that I, I mean, it's so thrilling to yeah. do, and and I'm I'm so lucky to be able to do it still. And um, and the other day at the Wigmore Hall, I had a, a birthday concert, which was very kind of John Gilhooly, and I premiered fourteen new pieces. Some of them were only thirty seconds long. Some of them were 12 minutes long. Yeah. Um, but I had um, 
a whole series of birthday cards written for me by lots of different composers, including Eleanor Alberger, um, Erin Wallen, um, Hannah Kendall. Those those are three very notable women, black women, who wrote for that concert. Um, Hugh Watkins, Helen Grime, Colin and David Matthews. I mean, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. But it's the reason they did that for me is because they feel safe giving me their music, putting it in my hands. Because I will, with any music, I will always put the composer first, and I will always go from what the text says. And when you're working with a composer that's alive, that's a great benefit because you don't have to be an archaeologist at all. When you're working on something like as the Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, there's an element of archaeology around about how the instruments sounded at that time, how um, you know how the, the the scale of them in a way. And so, with the trombone, um, which only appeared at the end of that piece, would or the piccolo or something, what what would it have sounded like in in Beethoven's? Well, we don't know what Beethoven would have thought because he was deaf anyway. So at that point, poor love, but. Um, it's just a fascinating thing to see how, how things put together, but giving with the composer there and you're giving their music, then you can ask them all those things and there's a responsibility, but it's great. How, where does uh, Paul Williams sit in that then? Where does he sit in the firmament of all the great oboe concertos? Well, it's one of the very best. I mean, what's fascinating is that Paul Williams, a bit like Jan Arczyk, his his hand is unbelievably messy. So he had a guy, I'm trying to remember the guy's surname, his name was Roy, but he, uh, I met him a few times and he would be the person who would say, now look old boy, is this an F or an F sharp? And he'd say, I have no idea old boy, what do you think? He'd say, well I think it's an F sharp, we'll write that then. So he would basically be in charge of interpreting Bull Williams' hilariously messy manuscripts. And he would write them neatly and then that's when they'd be given to the publisher. Of course those manuscripts are now treasures in the British Library, treasured things. Um, Janacek was the same. He would like it was like making contemporary art. He would throw things on the page and then mess with them and then sort of just ooh, it was done. But um, uh, I think that the Vaughan Williams Concerto is is a wonderful piece because it is pictures of an older England and yet at the same time it has a sort of um, a contemporary side to it, a sort of modern urban side to it, which is sort of the last movement. The last movement is so clever because it's a bit like, you know, in a Mozart or Beethoven symphony or a Haydn symphony, you'd have a, a dance movement in three. Then you'd have a contrasting section, often slightly slower, and then you'd go back to the dance movement. Mm. Well, Vaughan Williams does that actually with two sections, which are metrically controlled to be twice as slow and then three times as slow. So he'll write that the, the two beat note equals the new single beat note. He writes it the wrong way around actually. And then he writes that three beats become one beat. So when you're going da 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 dum. So that's one, two, three, one, two, three, one. It goes one, two, three. So it's a very slow three. And inside is one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one. And the first one that does that it's going Thank you. 
So, in fact, he, he slows it down with a very, very precise system that was actually used by Elliot Carter considerably and many more modern composers than Vaughan Williams. Um, so it's fascinating that he did that so specifically. And so that last movement is, is very, as I say, very urban and very sort of, I mean, written right in the middle of the war as well. There's a there's this golden moment in the middle of World War II in London when Howells wrote his oboe sonata and Vaughan Williams wrote his oboe concerto between 1942 and 45. And then there was a whole load of other composers, um, great composers who were also writing at the same time. And it's partly because of this man, Leon Goosens. When he, I mean, he was very, very, very famous as, as the first really famous oboist. It was, he, 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 it was him that it was written for, that concerto. Yes, it was. And um, actually, in my possession here in this room, I've got his oboe. How Does he know you've got it? Well, unfortunately, the poor old, he died he's, he's some died, years ago, gone. but his daughter knows I've got it. Right. She's lent it to me. Um, I'm not going to play it in the proms, but I might play an encore on it, which is something I might well do. That's special. I think it would be very special. Um, it's a very much simpler system instrument. But what's fascinating is that, is that um, he was a legend at that time in World War II because he recorded the London Derriere. And actually, it was it was at the top of what was called the hit parade uh, for I think something like a year. It was a really really big stint, and times it made him had, times money. Changed, yeah. yeah. It times have changed, and it made him money, and it made him very it made people nostalgic and and um, and think of you know what what they were missing. Like a bit like I mean, we didn't live through World War Two, but we did live through a pandemic, so we know about nostalgia and what that means. I mean, the first time I heard listen to music during that that period was to do a radio programme. And I listened to the Anacek concertino and I just I just started sobbing. I don't know why, just so open and amazing. But yeah, so Goosens was very inspirational. He was very famous, so they wanted to write for him. And um and and Vaughan Williams did. As you've mentioned before, the, the world premiere was actually cancelled because the concert hall the in at the top of Regent Street near the BBC was destroyed overnight in an air raid and which is which is sad it's never been rebuilt but it's it hasn't so it was then performed in Liverpool which was Goosens's hometown um, because his famous musical family his his brother Eugene was a great conductor and a principal conductor of the Cincinnati and Sydney Symphony Orchestras and also famously chose the design for Sydney Opera House he was on that committee right yeah was he a scouser then did he take the sort of <laughs> Eugene Goosens. What's in Kech? He's the poshest man in I think, well, I think he it? was very posh, yes. I mean, I've heard a few recordings of him speaking, everything ends with old boy. Uh, <laughs> and um, apparently he used, to, he used to swoosh around in a cloak as well. Somebody told me he, he wore a cloak. Cloak's gone out of fashion. They're the rooms that you put I them in. I might bring them back in. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now, tell us about actually playing the, the prongs, because you've done it, like, more times than you can wait for a And the first one was with the Vaughan Williams Concerto yes. in, in 1990. Um, um, can, does it ever get routine? No. No, it's a big thing, and you have to really, you have to be really ready. I mean, these days also there's, you know, there's telly and there's always live radio. So, um, I, I mean, it's it's one of those things that the excitement of it is is great before, but nothing can prepare you for the feeling of walking out and the just the wave of sound from the audience that just embraces you, and because they that that audience really knows their onions. They, they know exactly who you are and they're w- waiting for you to play. They're waiting to welcome you to their arena. So it feels like, the, I mean, it's an absolutely extraordinary thing to, to try to fill the Albert Hall because it's like, I don't know how many thousand people, it is many. And the thing is, if you push, if you push the sound, you'll immediately not be heard. And I discovered the way to be heard in there is to imagine that the sound is coming out of your back bouncing off the back wall where the organ is and then going forwards. So in order to be heard there as an oboist, I find there are tricks you have to have. And I think a great singer probably would do the same kind of thing. Imagine the, the sound in the back, in the middle back, then going backwards, then going forwards. So if you press, you'll, never, you'll make the wrong sound. And also you've got to remember there's many, many more times than that um, number of people listening at home with a microphone which is quite close to you mm. so if you play it's it's a it's it's a very strange conundrum because you've got to be heard in the hall but if you press all the people at home will hear the wrong sound they hear a, a, a slightly more edgy more forced sound mm. so you've got to find a way of playing for both but you, if you don't play in a way that touches the audience uh, in terms of them hearing it properly 
they won't, you know, they won't lift you to the rafters, which is what the great thing that they do. So it is, it is full of strange, strange kind of contradictions. But at the same time, it's so beautiful, the hall. It's so lush and opulent. And even though the shape is acoustically disastrous, actually, they've done their best to make it acoustically work. Um, but I think the, the thing that we all look forward to when you step on that stage is, is actually just that feeling of being lifted off your feet by the audience, which is unique. It is a unique audience. Some people say, well, where do they go after the proms? And I think they probably just, they go to lots of different places all over the country, maybe across the world. But uh, for that time, and I think this, this time coming back, with a really with a full audience again is going to be absolutely amazing. I'm so looking forward to it. You know, there's some uh, you know there's some comedy clubs that people like me struggle to slither up the greasy pole to perform at. The comedy store is one where people traditionally underperform because they're so spooked by <laughs> finally getting there. Uh, is there any is it is there, is there any extent is there any part of the problems which is like that? No, because it's all done with um, it's done with a deep love of music. So there's, I mean, that's that sense of um, of of it being about you is is not really an important part of classical. It's an important part of a certain area in classical music, which is a more sort of personality led thing. And I, I'm I'm not stupid enough to think that personality isn't isn't a part of my being successful. But actually, it's not a part of my performing. I, I I I want to allow the music to come through. And if if it happens to to um, come through cleanly and well, it's a bit like mediumship. That's how I think about it. But of course, if you're performing your own material, yeah, it's your material. It's got to be funny. And that's a bit like being. A composer, I think being a composer and having a piece of the bronze must be absolutely hair-raising. Think being one of those tiny ones that starts and ends the first night. Imagine, I mean, I know that also, I think Harry was probably, Harry Burtwas was probably pretty traumatised by the reception for Panic. Well, I don't know whether he was, he probably wasn't traumatised by anything much, but certainly his publishers were. <laughs> but um, I, I think that, no, I don't think it's, it's like... Uh, like that, there's a sense, an incredible sense of support backstage from the staff, and also, I mean, because I'm, I've never been sort of exclusively sort of against the orchestra kind of artist. There are artists that sort of you know have in their ride, and everybody must talk to me, and everybody must breathe on me. I must be brought in in an oxygen tank, and then it opened before the rehearsal, and uh, <laughs> and um. And, um <laughs> And, and so, no, of course, it, the thing is, the nerves are unusual because you've got, to, you've got to present yourself in a way that looks good to that many people. You've got to decide what to wear. You've got to decide all that stuff. But, you know, I'm really looking forward to it because I, I think I know just about how to do it now there. And, uh, and the thing is that you, I know that what happens is you get lifted by that and, and also by the listening quality of that audience. If you're standing up, and it's probably a thousand, you know, maybe six, seven hundred people standing up in front of you, of course you're going to listen because you can't fall asleep. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, uh, yes, so uh, what are you going to wear? I don't know yet. <laughs> Can I just I say, what you're wearing now is a, a rather splendid, and I didn't realise it being on the stage, but Ukrainian flag coloured um, shirt. That, exactly. is that, that, was that intended? Yes. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is because there was a. The, the, there's. A, I've also got this little knitted badge. Yeah, I see which has that. been done by a young Ukrainian girl who's recently moved to been displaced from Ukraine and come to Bedford. Yeah. And she's knitted those. Um, I mean, I think there isn't a note I play. There isn't a a concert I give right now that doesn't have my Ukrainian friends somewhere. You know, either at the front or in deep inside my mind. It's 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 unthinkable that we live at a time when that's happening in in basically in Europe. And because my husband is Polish, I'm I'm kind of very I'm more involved in the whole discussion about it because you get very different news in Poland than you do in the UK. I don't know why the news is so over controlled here. I might have a theory about it's that. Fun, it's funny though because uh, I know that we share something in common, which is German citizenship, don't we? Yes. We do. You are you. You have a you hold a um, a professorship in Trongenheim and where, where is it? <laughs> it's in Trossingen. Trossingen, which oh. is in the Schwarzwald. In the Schwarzwald. Tief, tief Schwarzwald. Down there. The, the we... whole plateau in Schwarzwald. Now this this was formerly the uh, music school at. Stuttgart. Stuttgart but... they, they moved it in the Second World War to save the lives of the students, and then actually the locals love having a music school there so much yeah. that they refused to allow it to go back, so they had to open a new school. So now Baden-Württemberg, which is the size of probably Hampshire, yeah. has five music schools the size of the Royal College of Music. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's basically amazing that the arts are so much better supported there. And there are these kind of professorships and stuff mm. out there which are then they're well paid. Yes, it's very well paid. That's not the the main reason for doing it. It's one. It's one. There's there's also a pension thing, which yeah. was impossible to get with teaching at a music school over here in general. But that's not it. It's more the fact that I, I it's my way or the highway, with my class. I can choose exactly who I teach. They if they audition. I can choose them or not. I have my own room. I have my own studio. She's got my recordings, my equipment. My they bought me a piano. I mean the facilities are astonishing. So there's a sense that if you really do know what you're talking about and you can really build a class, then there's a respect for that. I mean I'm I'm reliably told that my position in Germany is higher than a high court judge because I have a, um, a senior civil service um, position and I had to do a Schwerung. Oh, swear, a swearing in. Yes, and it, I had to read it and I thought they were joking and yeah. I thought it was candid camera. So I had, I had to hold the piece of paper and I had to mit rechts hand auf with my right hand up. Yeah. I said, do you mean with my right hand up? They said, yeah, the trouble was it was only one person and he looked scaredy like Norman Bates and he kept talking about his old mother running a bed and breakfast and everything. And I thought, hang on a minute, this cannot be right. So, ish, and then it said dot, 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 and I said dot, 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 Nicolas Daniel. Uh, oh yeah, ish, Nicolas Daniel. My German was awful at this point. Schwerer das ich. And then it was a blah, 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 blah. I was torturing the German. And I just thought it was a joke. But no, it's incredibly serious, actual swearing. And then it said at the end, so Hilfe mir Gott. And I said, oh, wait, is that God? I said, yeah. And I said, um, well, I'm not sure I can say that really because I don't know what I think about God. I haven't really made any decisions about that yet. And he said, Professor Daniel, this is better, which means you are now actually as an intended civil servant 
inside the system, and, and I would have to murder somebody to be sacked. Well, so it's like the American version of tenure. Yeah, no, 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 because I know that whole thing about you know how well supported they are, the pensions, all that kind of stuff. It's, mm. I think, a lot of people, especially during lockdown, were thinking, I need to get what Nick Daniels got. <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done, um, particularly after Brexit. Well, you have to be brilliant, like you are, and that's, and in fact, you are brilliant, and <laughs> and I'm super looking forward to uh, the concert. I have to say, um, I did while I was thinking about chatting to you, happened to come across a website ranking the world's great oboists. Oh yeah, I'm not very high, am I? You're 12. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> well, I think the people who've got time to do that kind of nonsense, I mean, yeah, whatever. Um, they don't know nothing. <laughs> I, d I didn't recognise the first 11, basically. <laughs> Neither do I. They're all nobodies. No, it's, I think those sort of things, are, uh, you can drive yourself mad with that nonsense. But um, I would like to think that there is a legacy of new music for me to pass on to my great students in the future. I mean, it's hundreds of pieces. Like Evelyn Glennie, I stopped counting. Actually, I've got a rather funny Evelyn Glennie story about the proms. So yeah, please. We did a double concerto, which was written for us by Thea Musgrave, and it's called Two's Company. And Evelyn actually lives quite, quite near me. And, um, and I, so I arrived at her house, and I said, oh, I haven't brought my oboe. She said, what? <laughs> so I had to, luckily, it's only 15 minutes drive, so she said, well, we'll start again in half an hour. So I said, OK, so I arrived there. We were slightly giggly by this point. And, um, and then, so we rehearsed it. And it was, going, it was going really well. I mean, she, it, when she's learned to read your sound, it's the most astonishing thing. Because to start with, we were absolutely all over the place, misfiring, mis not catching each other at all. And I was like, oh, this is hard. And she said, look, just come back again tomorrow. I wish we'd planned to. I come back again tomorrow. And I came back the next day. And it was as though she'd found the place in her body where my sound was accessible to her. And she didn't even look... I didn't look at her. We were absolutely perfectly together forevermore. So, get to the day of the prom. And I walk on stage and bow. And then I have to run straight off stage and run right round the building to the top steps on the stage right. And then she starts off with all this ice percussion. Like, ching, 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 ching. And I then appear at the top of the stairs and play from memory, walking as if I'm being called by her. So she's on the, on the stage left, I'm coming down towards stage right. And then, as Thea Musgrove says, typical man, I get distracted by the French horns. So I, get, I forget about her, and then I go and play with the horns and the clarinets for a while, and I move into there. And then, meanwhile, she's gone a bit further back on the stage. And then, she has a, at one point, she has a very quick run across the stage to get to the tom-toms, because she's got angry, and she goes, like this. And she's pissed off because basically I've, I've ignored her for too long. And when I saw what she was wearing, I was like, Evelyn, are you going to be able to run in that? She said, oh, no, I hadn't thought. <laughs> I said, it looked like you've got your knickers. And she was like, <laughs> she ran across the stage. She was running like with her little legs all tiny together. <laughs> I said, oh, no. <laughs> I couldn't look at her at all. And then, actually, after that, after that sort of anger, and then I do this sort of um, Figaro apology to her. And then, actually, I had to offer her my hand because she couldn't step down on the stage. In the 
and then we go to the front because we're waiting marimba and we kind of finish the piece with a fandango but oh dear when she ran across the back of the stage i thought i was going to lose it completely because we'd never rehearsed it in the clothes this goes to show you should always rehearse everything well uh that's that's dress rehearsals for you thanks so much all the best <laughs> for that and Thank thanks you, love. thanks for talking to us Thank you, Nick Daniel. That knocking you can hear right at the end of our chat, by the way, was the security man at the Montbertal wanted to chuck us out. Don't you know who we are? We protested. Yes, said he. That's exactly why I want to chuck you out. A reminder, Nick's performance is live on Sunday the 14th of August at 11am. You can catch it on BBC Radio 3, either as it goes out or on demand through BBC Sounds, where all the concerts from the proms are available until October the 10th. Find BBC Sounds on the web, navigate your way to Radio 3, and Bob's your uncle. Well, that's it for this edition of my Proms in the Pub. Don't forget to subscribe or get in touch at www.promsinthepub.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you about anything. Unless you are a Nigerian prince who wants to get your inheritance out of the country and needs us as a go-between. Now, if we're talking about setting folk songs, why don't we think Irish instead of English? Our regular special guest, Harry the Piano, has done just that with Molly Malone, also known as the tune in Dublin's Fair City. And this is his extraordinary reworking of that melody in the form of a two-part invention, when Molly met Johann Sebastian Bach. How Harry does this exactly is beyond me, but we'll be hearing from him in his own special interview later in this series. Until then, sit back and enjoy. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.